The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are for informational purposes only and solely those of the podcast participants, contributors, and guests, and do not constitute an endorsement by or necessarily represent the views of the Hartford or its affiliates. You're listening to the Small Biz Ahead podcast, brought to you by the Hartford. Welcome to Small Biz Ahead. This week we have a special episode where Gene will be out in St. Louis interviewing Tim Barklage, small business owner. Take it away, Gene. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to uh, Small Biz Ahead, our podcast with the Hartford. My name is Gene Marks, and I am here with Tim Barklage, who is the CEO, co-founder, owner, and master of Better Life, uh, a natural uh, cleaning products company based here in the St. Louis area. Uh, Tim, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Gene. I really appreciate it. Tim, I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself um, so that you can uh, give a little bit of background. Tell us your name, uh, your title, um, and the name of your company, and we have a, we'll, we'll get into it. Go ahead. Sure. Hi, my name is Tim Barklage, and I am the co-founder of a company called Better Life. We are a company which sells natural household cleaning supplies. Uh, we sell directly to the consumer through our website, but primarily most of our sales are done through retailers like Whole Foods Market, Target, and grocery stores around the country. That's very cool. So we were talking about some stories. You brought up uh, a little uh, little Shark Tank experience that you had. Can you tell us about that? Sure. Yeah, we were on Shark Tank in November of 2013, and it was a great experience for us, and we were able to um, really, uh, you know, make sure that we were, well, what we did is we, we, we put a lot of preparation into getting on there before we went in. And what our goal was, was to try and control the conversation with the sharks so that, you know, we, you know, the conversation wouldn't go sideways and we would end up uh, being shark bait, um, <laughs> which we, we definitely didn't want to do. And so we spent a lot of time where we would actually um, watch old episodes and we would write down all of the questions that people would ask, uh, or that w- the sharks would ask of the people. So we had this whole database of questions and we had our whole entire team right. um, watching episodes of Shark Tank, writing down it. And what we did is we distilled that into about 12 topics. And then from those 12 topics, what we were able to do is look at um, how we were um, going to be able to answer our questions. So we took you know, what those 12 topics were, had discussion points about each of those, and that's how we were able to control the conversation. And the outcome worked out really well for us. We actually had the sharks in a bidding war over us. We had multiple offers from all four sharks, and it really was a fantastic experience because you know you get to expose yourself to millions and millions and millions of people and have a little fun in the process. I always too. thought like when you're getting like in a bidding war, um, like I'm like terrible at math, even though I'm a CPA, <laughs> and, and like I would think like when they get in these bidding wars, they start talking about percentage of equity, and we'll give you this up front and that yeah. up front. I, were you, I, I was always wondering, like, you know, do these guys like get overwhelmed with these questions or are they not thinking straight or you know, were you keeping up with the conversation? Yeah. That, you know, to be honest, that was the most exhausting part of the whole entire yeah. you know presentation because we were we were in the studio for about two and a half hours before um, the whole thing ended. And, you know, the first, you know, I would say two thirds of it were you know, just kind of fun. You do your, you do your two minute pitch. Yeah. All's going good. Cause you're not getting any questions. Right? Yeah. So yeah, like, this yeah. Sounds great to me. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you know, you kind of go off your script, you memorize what you're going to do, you do your demos and then the questions start. And, you know, we felt like, okay, at this point we had pretty, we pretty much knew what we were going to talk about. Right. You know, it's kind of like a, a presidential debate. 
they ask you a question and you give an answer that you had already uh, premeditated, um, despite what the actual question right, was. Right, right. You sort of like turn it all around to something else, right? Yeah, yeah. And then, and then when the numbers uh, started happening, you know, it, it, again, we had prepared for the types of deals that they normally would do. But then they threw us a couple of curveballs and they proposed some deals that they hadn't done before, or at least that weren't uh, hadn't aired before. And that's when things started really getting confusing because some of the sharks, we actually had three offers. Some of them we had two. And we're trying to keep these things safe because right. you don't have the... the um, 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 advantage of having the teleprompter like you do on TV course, when they do of it course. of like, well, Lori made an offer of this much. Well, I mean, the reason why is like, you know, if, if you were in real life, not on Shark Tank, if you're going to get an offer for your business, I mean, you have time to like think about that right. offer and do some due diligence. Or whatever. But it seems like on the show, it's like, here's the offer. Make your decision right now. Was it really like that? Uh, yeah, it pretty much was. Yeah. Um, you know, we, we did take um, a few minutes to consider it, but you can't leave the studios. The cameras are still on you. So we were kind of whispering in each other's Year so that uh, you know the, the microphones couldn't pick up what was going on, but at the end of the day, the nice thing about um, you know the way the, the the show works is that you're you're really making a deal to have further conversations. So the obligation isn't that you're signing you know X percent of your business away right there on the spot. So you know the pressure's off from that standpoint, even right. though you still feel it because you're trying right. to get a deal done. Right, that's right. And you also told me that your, your deal actually never got done in the end. Is that right? Right. So, you know, we, we, had the, um, we had the deal done. And then, you know, afterwards, once you start getting into the actual due diligence, um, you know, it, it was one of those opportunities where both parties decided there was a match here, sure. but it just doesn't just doesn't make sense to consummate it. Do you think though it did better prepare you for if one day you wanted to bring in any outside investors um, to the business, just the whole process? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I think that's one of the things about small business owners and first-time entrepreneurs is that that whole area of investment and investment banking and mm -hmm. private equity and all these things that um, you know are are happening we really aren't prepared for it. It's no. kind of like going to school, right? You yep. you go to school and you study finance, but it doesn't mean you know how to balance your own checkbook yep. when you get out. Yep, that's and, exactly right. And so, you know, that's one of the things where, you know, in small business, you you just don't ever get that education of how to, how to deal with investors, how to take them on, what this all means. And I think it's an area sorely missing in um, business, you know, small business ownership. I remember um, when I went to college, we um, I, was, I took accounting in college and, you know, graduated from college took a job at an accounting firm and um, and I remember my first job they sent me out and said uh, ask the client for their general ledger this is back in the days where they were like it was like people right. had manual Books. general ledger and uh, I didn't know what a general ledger was I had an accounting <laughs> degree right from like a pretty good university and I was like I don't even know what a general ledger is so just, just sometimes like the schools don't prepare you got to learn it you know in real life yeah. um, so Better Life, uh, natural cleaning products yeah. is what you do. How many products do you guys have approximately? Right now we have about two dozen individual um, you know, products that we're selling and it ranges um, anywhere from surface cleaning, right. like an all-purpose cleaner, to specialty cleaning, like a granite cleaner or a produce wash. Uh, and we also have a, a suite of laundry products, uh, dish products, and then some personal care as well, like soaps and lotions. This sounds like a little bit like um, Jessica Alba's company, isn't it? Like the honest, if she does, uh, does she do, I don't think she has cleaning products though, but it's the same con concept? It, no, she does, have, they do have some cleaning do products yeah, um, okay. in that lineup. So yeah, they're a competitor of ours. Right, they're a competitor, um, right. You know, that's one of the areas that 
um, you know, I shouldn't say it's one of the areas. Better Life, we focused on the cleaning areas yep. where a lot of uh, some of our competitors have gone into things like diapers and paper towels and other types of consumables. We've really focused on the cleaning at this point. Don't you think if you've got a competitor, I mean, most of us when we have competition, we, um, you know, we, we hate them. Right? Yeah. I mean, that's like a natural human reaction. And, I don't see uh, Jessica Alba yeah, movies anymore. Yeah, I don't see any Jessica Alba movies. They weren't really very good to begin with between you and me. But, okay. but you know, but when you look at that, um, in some way, it is a validation of what you're doing. I mean, you know, if you're all alone out there selling a product without any competition, then doesn't that kind of say, um, well, there's really doesn't seem to be that big a market for this product anyway. But then you've right. got other companies and even high profile ones not like, like hers that are selling all natural type products. It almost mm-hmm. tells you that you're kind of onto something. It's like a Bird, you know, a oh, yeah. growing field. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, overall, in the United States, the cleaning industry is um, pretty much flat. Right. Um, and, you know, if you look at the natural cleaning products or people that are marketing themselves as natural, uh, that industry is skyrocketing, right. Right, or that part of the industry is skyrocketing right now. So, you know, while the, the, you know, the traditional multinational conglomerates are, you know, just kind of gaining market share extremely slow or even losing market share, uh, the people that are focusing on natural ingredients are experiencing just amazing growth. Now, you got into this business in a pretty crazy way, right? You're yeah. telling me earlier, what, what, what was the story there? <laughs> this is not, the, the, for listeners, please do, do not take any of Tim's advice when you're about to hear yeah, this story. Don't do this. This is not a blueprint for success. No, it is not. What did you do? Um, so, you know, the reason why we started the company was because um, at the time, my wife and I had a year and a half um, year-old daughter and we were buying uh natural you know what we thought were natural cleaning products right we had a a neighbor who's also a formulation chemist who ended up becoming our business partner (laughs) Um, he also had a year and a half year old daughter and you know we were having dinner and we were talking about cleaning products because you know the kids are crawling around getting into everything (laughs) and so uh, he said, you know, those products that you're buying really aren't that safe. You still need to lock them up. And, you know, we we're kind of scratching our head and we were thinking, well, what's the point? You know, we're spending more money. They don't work as well. Yeah. And we still have to lock them up. Yeah. It is true when you think about it. Like, geez, in this day and age that you still have poisonous products around. Like, yeah. There, you know, there has to be some better alternative, right? Yeah. And, that, and that's what we were saying. It uh-huh. made no sense. And, you know, at the time, everybody was marketing their, you know, their their products is green. Yeah. Um, and that really didn't mean any, and it doesn't mean anything. And so what what we did is we wanted to focus on safety and efficacy. And that's what we still, our company is still based on, making products that are completely safe, um, but also more effective than the conventional brands. And so, you know, Kevin, our, our, uh, our business partner, um, Came, came to our house one day with a mason jar, had a mysterious liquid in, and he's like, hey, this is all from plants, it's an all-purpose cleaner, try it out. And so we did, and that's really when things changed. And I'm not kidding you, six months later, um, I quit my job on Friday the 13th. Um, Perfect. My, exactly. Good. In 2008, mind you. Yeah, right? oh, actually, so, great so timing. In, in yeah, Ju- June, of, June, Friday the 13th Wasn't it true that some of the greatest companies in American history were founded during recessions? Oh, so I'm, there you go. Yeah, well, you know, and I think there's a lot of, you know, in, in, and, and that's one of the things I, I, you know, one of the few things I remember from college is that, you know, while everybody's retrenching during economic downturns, uh, that's the time to really go after something because, you know, you've got an opportunity where, where everybody else is just kind of trying to hold on to what they sure. have to, to grow. And sure. so so we, we just kind of went all in because it was all about passion. So um, Kevin quit his job. I quit my job. What was um, your job at the time? 
<laughs> I was doing IT hosted infrastructure wow. services. Yes, excellent. Um, so excellent. It, was, Very exciting. It, it was a perfect segue into yeah. cleaning. Of course, half our audience just fell asleep while you were naming <laughs> what that job was. But the, so you quit that job altogether. Your yep. wife did and without any other. For, did, you, did you have like savings at the time? Like, did you like, did you at least, please tell me at least, you looked ahead and said, okay, we've got enough to live off of for the next six months or so. Yeah, kind of. I mean, <laughs> you know, well, well, oh, you, no. you said we're in St. Louis, right? So, you know, one of the one of the really great things about this town is that you can, you know, afford, you know, you can live here affordably. So, you know, we were living, we were living below our means, okay. and so, you know, we had we had focused on saving money. We didn't know exactly what we wanted to do, but, you know, I was always thinking about maybe we'll start a business someday, and we had been saving money. So, yeah, we had some savings, but you know, to be honest, Gene, we had, we didn't we didn't pay ourselves for three and a half years. And, and when I say not paying ourselves, I'm not, I'm, I'm just talking zero money was yeah, coming from the company. That, right, that, that um, makes complete sense. Whenever so, you start up a company, I mean, you really have to budget yourself that you're gonna be um, you know, broke while you're building it for a good couple, three years. Yeah, so my, my wife, Nancy, she was working 20 hours, 30 hours a week <clears> in the business. And then she would, you know, we would care for the kids. And then she'd go to a restaurant and wait tables you know, until two in the morning doing another 25 or 30 hours a week. And we were just, we were basically living off of savings and her um, tips. What did you, I mean, first of all, what were you thinking, right? I mean, what did you yeah. know about cleaning products to go into? I can even understand if you would leave your job for some other, something else that's technical or in the IT world. Yeah. That was maybe a modicum more interesting than what you were doing. But, um, you know, I mean, like, what kind of skill set did you have that you can bring to this company? It seemed like your neighbor was like, the Brit no offense, he seemed like he was the brains of the company, right? I mean, he like formulated the products. Did you do the science or were you a sales guy? No, I mean, that, that I really focused on the development of the business itself mm -hmm. and the, the sales and marketing. And so, you know, what what we were able to do is, you know, combine, um, you know, two two talents. Um, you know, he had the development side on the products and I really worked on, you know, developing the branding, the marketing, the overall business structure. And so that's where some of my corporate experience really lended me to um you know, doing things smartly and efficiently, right. um, if that makes any sense, because, you know, one of the mistakes that a lot of small businesses make is that they don't know where to spend their money. They don't know how to spend their money wisely. And they think that they need all of these things to get their business off of the ground. Right. And so, you know, we just we did your typical bootstrap approach. And, you know, basically it was on, you know, just basically a lot of naive idealism, um, right. you know, um, right. and, and that's where, and, and just passion for what we were doing and figuring out a way to build a business without having capital behind us. So um, when you say without having capital, this is a business that needs, not only you've got the salaries of the people putting that aside, mm -hmm. um, you, you've, you have to have space, right. um, you have to make the product at some point, even if you're just yep. making samples of it, it's gotta be made somewhere, right? Yep. Um, you have to have a phone system, you have to have at least an ability to communicate. So where you know, did you have the capital to do that as well? And, and can you tell us a little bit about those first few months? Like where were you working out of? Sure. So we were we were working out of our house, um, and uh, we did partner with a local company here that made like janitorial cleaning products. So they had you know equipment and capacity to be able to make the products, and you know we were very fortunate to have you know a person that was really more of a mentor than a vendor, sure. um, and was able to you know 
run our products at very small levels, which was a total pain in the rear sure. for them because they had to stop their lines, switch out labels, you know, do all this stuff for us to make a couple thousand bottles of products, which to us was an immense amount of product right, because right. we had no customers. Right. Um, Why did they do this for you? Like, what was in it for them? Uh, good question. <laughs> no kidding. Yeah. Well, I mean, the lesson is, is, is finding that mentor to work with is, mm -hmm. is huge. Um, some mm -hmm. of this is just based on luck, I guess. I mean, did you stumble into these guys or? Yeah, you know, um, Kevin had some relationships with, or he knew of some people in town, um, just vendors that he had worked with in his previous job that said, hey, you might want to talk to these people or these people. And, mm. you know, just really doing a lot of research. You know, I, I spent a lot of time just doing Google searches on, right. you know, how to how to be able to find things. You know, I, like I said, with my corp, you, you had mentioned phone systems. Yeah. Well, you know, we never bought a phone system. Nah. We still don't have a phone system. Neither do we I. Yeah. We, have a, we have a virtual phone system. Yeah, exactly. We use, do you use like Grasshopper or I, we use virtual PBX? Is the we one we use Ring Central, Ring which Central, is the same, same idea. Yep. Yep. And, you know, the business that I was in, we were kind of really innovators on developing the infrastructure for the, you know, cloud-based computing back in the, you know, mid 2000s. And so I had a lot of knowledge of how to leverage um, things without servers. So we've never had a server. Okay. Um, you know, yeah. everything we've done has all been virtual. And so even, you know, even as we continue to grow, the technology just continues to improve so much that you really don't need all of these things that cost a lot of money and yeah. a lot of maintenance. Yeah, it's amazing. I always wonder if, if companies like yours and mine could have even existed 30 years ago, even 20 years ago, without the technology that's around. Certainly not in a heavily bootstrapped way yeah. that, you know, we can, and, and that's part of what I think makes us still successful, or, you know, that continues to fuel our success as we still look at ourselves as, Bootstrapping. bootstrapping company. Yeah. Right. Do you believe that companies should always have that mindset? No, not at all. You know, like like you said, like you know, I said, the, ours is certainly not a blueprint for success. Um, you know, I, I didn't have the credibility or the reputation to use other people's money. You know, if I, I could have spent two years that I could be out there developing the brand, trying to get somebody to believe in me, to get yep. some money from them, and yep. I, we just thought to ourselves, you know what? Let's just quit our jobs, believe in ourselves, and success will find us if we have a good product, we know what we're doing, and then we can figure it out after after that point in time. You know, now, since I've already you know built somewhat of a successful mm -hmm. company, I'd be able to go out there and you know raise money in a much easier manner. But right. at, at that point. We just kind of thought, what's the point? Because right. it would be really hard and we'd be giving away in a tremendous amount of equity for not a lot of money. That makes sense. A better life. Um, how'd you come up with the name and how have you worked on building that brand? Yeah, so better life was, um, you know, it was really based on lots and lots and lots and lots of Google searches and test searches on the, you know, United States Patent and Trademark Office and trying to find something that wasn't taken that really resonated with what we were doing. And that was probably, and I'm not kidding, you know, a lot of the first three or four months of, of when we were developing our business before we actually got it off the ground was actually trying to find a name for the business. Really? Wow. And, you know, it just one day better life popped up and in it's our heads name. and it was it's like, great name. it wasn't taken. Yeah. It was like, grab that. And that's where we, um, we, we started developing the brand from there. But, you know, it was always about, um, creating a better life for the planet, our sure. families, you know, the people who use our products. And so it's just a natural fit. Do you guys, um, do you guys budget and plan? Like, do you have a business plan? Uh, right. 
<laughs> right, right. And it's funny that you say that because um, you know you get. I, I get asked that question sometimes as well, and my response is exact. It's like, well, uh, I mean, like you, you have objectives, I guess, right, and certain uh, things you're focusing on. Yeah, what, what, you know, we we definitely do have financial budgets and targets and projections. Of better than us. Where we, yeah. <laughs> where we want to go, and you know, but when when we're in such a high growth phase, y- you get one huge customer, and it. It just blows your budget, right? Or yeah. blows your projections right out of the yeah. water, or you yeah. lose one big customer, and it's the same yeah. type of thing. But you know, we're we're at a point now where we can we're, we can forecast pretty accurately, and that's an important part of making sure that, um, we, you know, we can intuitively spend money in the right places. You talk about big customers. So, um, are you guys reliant on any one or two customers? No, um, you, we've we've been systematic, lucky, fortunate, whatever you want to call it, and making sure that we really do have a broad and diverse revenue stream. So, you know, our largest customer is less than 10% of our our overall revenue stream. Um, And that's an important, you know, when, you know, you talked about investors before Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, if you you know if you do partner with investors, that's one of the big criteria that they're going to look at. Even banks look at it that way, is they want to make sure that you're not highly leveraged with any one customer. Correct. And we've really tried to make sure that we do that. You know, for instance, our online business. You know, just selling directly to the consumer, it's about fifteen percent of our overall business, which is great. Yeah. Um, you know, then we sell through other e-commerce channels like Amazon, and then we, of course, sell through the brick and mortar retailers, but we really try to make sure that we're diverse. Yeah, we've got about 600 clients in my company, and um, and I'm so grateful for that, because, wow. right, I mean, you know, you're going to lose some. It's just it's just natural. Oh, absolutely. And um, and I, I have some clients who are you know forty percent of their business, fifty percent is like one customer. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And you're like, oh my god, how are you sleeping at night, man? That guy leaves you. You are in serious trouble. Yeah. Well, a lot of advertising agencies and yeah, service based exactly. industries are so dependent on one big client, and if they decide they are going to sell out to another company, guess who's going to get cut out oh, of this absolutely. You know, equation. This happened here a lot in St. Louis. Yeah, you know, the rule of thumb is, at least the accounting rule is, like, you have to disclose in your financials if you have like uh, sales of more than 20% of your sales is from a specific customer. So that's sort of like, uh, you know, sort of like that, that rule that people follow. So I have a couple of other areas, then we'll, we'll wrap things up. But I just, you had mentioned before about partners and getting financing on. Kevin mm-hmm. is your partner, yeah. correct? Mm-hmm. So, you know, I mean, you, any any advice that you have? Like, for example, my, my wife would never let me take on a partner. She never did. We and this is you know my firm my, we've grown, but she does not want any um, anybody having equity um, yeah. in my business, which basically means equity in our lives, right? Right. Exactly. And I kind of imagine there are other people that have the same this sort of concern about going into business with her. I mean, I realize Kevin's like a, like a neighbor of yours and a rel- right. you know, but still relative strangers. I mean, right. you guys got what? Have, what have you learned from that experience? I mean, do you guys know? I, you know, and I, 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 I'm going to let you answer, but it's kind of, yeah. it's almost like if Kevin next door sees you guys like buy a new car, you know what I mean? Is he like, oh, I can't believe this guy's buying a new car. And right. I'm like, we're trying to get this business going. Like what, what, what sort of challenges have you had with having a partner? Yeah. You know, I think you can answer, I can answer that in a couple of different ways. You know, when I look at, um, you know, the way a lot of, um, you know, Entrepreneurs are, you know, I'm involved in um, EO here in St. Louis, which is entrepreneurs organization. Great organization. And, yep. you know, so I'm around a lot of entrepreneurs. Um, and 
you know, the, the when when people talk about, you know, getting investment, you know, bringing on private equity and this and all that sort of, it gets people really excited. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and to me, the reading Forbes magazine, like, oh, right. my God, it's going to be valued at a billion dollars and I'm going to write. And, and I think they, <laughs> yeah, they, you know, they get so excited in the, you know, the aura and yeah. the romance of it that they don't realize that they're bringing on a partner yeah. in their business. And this partner's, you know, most likely going to have really tough financial goals. And, you know, if you bring in private equity, especially in many cases, they want to flip your business in three or four yeah. years. And I, I, I just get so confused on, you know, the whole aura of this thing. Now, if you're going to use it to grow your business and you've got some really, you know, um, set goals on how you want to do it, then then great. You know what you're getting into. But I, I see way too many people just getting involved with people that they don't understand that, you're bringing in a partner that's going to have divergent goals than you are. And so, you know, I think whatever partnership you're in, A, you have to establish the expectations up front of sure. what you both want at the end of the day. And, you know, again, you know, it's, 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 it's advice that isn't new by any means, but it's so true. You've got to know what's the end goal, what are the expectations, and who is this that you're going into business with? Yeah, yeah, it's it's a tough decision because you really are throwing all of your you know all of your assets together, and yep. um, um, and, and it's a big risk that you're taking. All right, so we'll wrap up. I know this, but I, I do a final question for you um, before I let you go. Is, um, um, mistakes that you've made. Always like to talk about that. Sure. Not that you've made any mistakes oh. in the past few years, right? <laughs> but if you were to go back and tell your younger self five years ago, right? Like, yeah. don't do this and don't do that. What are some of the most glaring things that you've th things that you've done that you were like, oh, never again? Yeah, you know, and I'm I'm really when I say this, I'm not trying to avoid your question it's because fun. I am someone who embraces mistakes and i know that sounds cliche but i really i don't dwell on them Good. and i don't beat myself up and i i don't have regrets and i i know that sounds like a bunch of nonsense but i just there's nothing that i i, I dwell on because i think the path that um we've gone on has taught me so much mm. and i've learned so much from it and I'm sure, well, I know there's things that I would have done, over, done but, but I have to actually, you know, sit down and think about it. And there's just nothing that pops into the top of my head because I, I really, truly believe that mistakes are inevitable and they're the best learning experience that you can possibly mm. make. And it just forms who you are. And I just integrate that into how I just make decisions on a day-to-day -day yeah, you know, basis. It's, it's funny, if you talk to teachers, I mean, that's a big issue in, in the education system in this country is that um, you reward the kids for, for succeeding and moving ahead grade by grade. Right. Um, and God forbid if they make mistakes, whereas how else are you gonna learn if right. you fail and you make mistakes? And it, was, it was Michael Jordan, right? He said, you know, I failed and I failed and I failed and I failed until I succeeded. Yep. And uh, so I get, I get that. I mean, you know, you, I'm sure you've made tons of mistakes, just like we all have. But um, I think one of the one of the natural things of a, of a successful business person is you've got that air of optimism about you, and you're like, yeah. all right, so I made mistakes that was in the past. Let's move forward from there. Yeah, you know, I, I think that um, anxiety is the um, absolute killer of mm. of productivity. Right. And when you dwell on the past, it causes anxiety um, because you're dwelling on you know what might happen in the future um, that's going to be bad. And right. so you know, I think that you know, I look at the past as as something that 
has been in the past and it's given me the tools that I have today to succeed. And I don't think about it a lot. When I think about the future, it's I set my goals um, and I have my goals, but at the same point in time, I don't focus on those so um, obsessively that it gives me anxiety. I sure. really try to be in the present moment and make my decisions based on what's going on here. And now knowing that I've got something to look forward to and that I'm trying to get there, but whether I take a left or a right to get to that destination, it's it might change on a day to day basis. And you know, I really try to make sure that um, you know you look at um, you know the present moment is the uh, is, is is the key to success versus you know obsessively focusing on the past or the future. That makes sense. So speaking of the future, where do you want to be ten years from now? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, you know, um, it would be amazing to say that you know we've taken this company from literally zero um you know starting with a jar of cleaning yeah, fluid right? yeah and then six months later with two stores and thinking that you know those two stores are enough to support two families um and <laughs> and by two stores i mean two retailers yeah. who are buying yeah. our product um and saying that, you know, in uh, so that would be 18 years that we've taken that into a hundred million dollar company. I, I just think it would be amazing. Um, awesome. And then at that point in time, you know, my daughter will be almost graduating from college. Taking so over maybe, the business. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Time to play golf. <laughs> All right, Tim, thank you. This is uh, this is Gene March talking. We've been talking with Tim Barklage, um, owner, CEO, co-founder of um, um, Better Life. Is it a better life or just better life? Just better life. Just better life. Why not a better life? Hmm. Maybe, maybe. No, I'm just curious. Maybe, like, maybe, maybe there's something. Let me go. <laughs> <laughs> no, I like it. Better Life is great. I want to thank you very much for coming on. Um, this podcast has been great. I appreciate the opportunity and thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Small Biz Ahead podcast brought to you by The Hartford. You can find us online at smallbizahead.com. And while you're there, make sure to sign up for our weekly newsletter to receive tips and advice for managing and growing your business. You can also join the Small Biz Ahead community on Facebook and Twitter.